We're going to keep going here. Matthew 5, go ahead and turn there. Most of us are very familiar with this section because this is where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And even though this passage isn't part of the Beatitudes, it has a lot to do with the Beatitudes. If you think about it, the people who are said to be blessed, he just said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The people who are said to be blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the, the meek and the, uh, the, those who mourn. Those are the people who, by their Christ-like character, are the salt in, of the earth and, and the light of the world. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the last beatitude that you read, we covered it a couple weeks ago, the last beatitude changes from blessed are those to blessed are you. The first eight Beatitudes are written in second person, and you know, somewhat impersonal, though I doubt Jesus meant it to be impersonal. I doubt he did. But then if you look, the ninth Beatitude, he switches, and he puts it in first person, and he says that, um, he said, blessed are you when you are insulted, and blessed are you when you are persecuted. And he goes right into, you are the salt of the earth. You are are the light of the um, light of the world. And he's making it personal, and I think it's because he's wanting them to know, hey, look, I'm talking in generalities here. Blessed are those, blessed are those. But then he stops and he says, but listen, you are my disciples. You are following me. And blessed are you when you're insulted um, because of me. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. And by the way, you are salt. And you are light. Now, we've probably all heard tons of sermons about what it means to be salt and light. And I don't know that I'm going to say anything different tonight than you've heard before. But this is obviously a metaphor. It's not like he's handing out superpowers. You know what I mean? You will be salt man. You know, you will be light boy. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing is he's talking about something very common, salt and light. And he's using that to describe how a follower, someone who is blessed, someone who is uh, displaying the Christ-like characteristics that he just went through all the trouble to talk about in the Ma- Beatitudes. He's talking about how those, that person, how they are supposed to function in the world. And I think we get it in theory. You know, all the things that, that we're talking about today, the, the salt and the light, I think theoretically we understand um, what it means. For example, we know that, that salt is a preservative. You know, like when you rub salt on uh, meat, it can preserve it, it can make it last longer, it will keep it from rotting and things like that. So as believers, we need to be, you know, rubbing off on people and, uh, and being a, a positive encouragement to them and, and praying for them that they would keep away from unhealthy influences in the world. See, we get that um, about salt, because we've heard that before. We get that salt makes you thirsty. And so when you live a life worthy of the calling, when you live a life that pleases the Lord, it should cause people to see the joy and the peace, and really the blessedness that we have, and then crave it for themselves. It's kind of like um, beer commercials, you know? Beer commercials always seem to reel you in, you know? You drink the beer, you'll get the girl. Or you drink the beer and you'll get the car, whatever, whatever you know, the commercial talks about. Or Gatorade. Um, I used to love the Gatorade commercials because I love to work out, love to run, and you kind of... You understand what the guy he's running or the girl he's running, working out, doing whatever he's doing. He's sweating. You can tell he's just exhausted. And then he grabs for that thirst quencher, 
the Gatorade, and he drinks it up, and he's totally quenched and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, man, I, I, could, I could use some Gatorade right now, you know? It's like that, that kind of a marketing thing in the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean the church, but I'm talking about the, the universal church, the people of God. When their characteristic of Christ is put on display, that's like God's marketing plan. That's what he intended, to bring people to the Lord, you know? Jesus was... Um, was talking about that, and we're going to talk about it some more. But um, another thing we understand is that salt heals wounds. He said, blessed are the merciful. And it's because he knows that when we display that compassion, when we act compassionately, that it can play a part in bringing healing to someone who's hurting. And, you know, salt, it can, it can kind of sting a fresh and, and open wound and really soak in the truth. But at the end of the day, it brings about healing. At the end of the day... The truth will set you free, just like salt will, will you know, do whatever it does. I don't know what it does, but it helps heal wounds. We've all heard that. And then what we're probably most familiar with is that salt, it generates flavor. Salt is obviously a, a spice. I don't know if you call it a spice, but it's, it's very flavorable. And uh, I was thinking and reading in Psalm 34, 8, just this week, we've been reading through Psalm 34 as a family um, in the mornings. And it says... Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. And I know it's hard to believe that the world that's so alive with pleasures would need to even spice up their life at all and seek something more flavorable. But the truth is, and and you guys that um, know the Lord now but maybe once didn't, I guess all of us at one time did not, you can remember the times when we would put our head on the pillow at night. And like, like Solomon said, it's all just meaningless. What does this mean? My life is empty. There's something missing. There's no flavor. There's no life in my, in my life. And let me tell you something. People are looking for something to spice up their life. Now, they may be looking to spice it up with other things. They may be looking to spice it up with worldly stuff. But the truth is, is, is they, they want their life to be more flavorable. Would you guys agree? I mean, do you remember that? Do you remember when life stunk? It's like there's got to be more than this. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about because now in Christ and because of the Holy Spirit in us, our lives and especially our words can really have an impact on people that don't know the Lord. Ephesians 4, which is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. Ephesians 4, and and most of us are familiar with verse 29. It says, let no unwholesome word Proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment. Everybody say, according to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, the need of the moment could have something to do with another believer. or ministering to them, or praying for them, or whatever. But it could also be an unbeliever. And if so... If our speech, if our language, if our words are unwholesome, if they're worldly, then what we're saying is not a whole lot different than what they hear all the time. But if our words are godly, there's a great chance that we are bringing a different flavor at that moment for that person and for their need. Amen? This is going to sound weird, but I was thinking about how it's like Chick-fil-A fries. Do you guys eat Chick-fil-A? Think about how their french fries are the bomb. Okay? 
And they're just potatoes like every other fast food restaurant. But they got creative. They put them into the waffle fries. And then from what I understand, they cook their fries in peanut oil, or at least they used to. I don't know if they still do. But it makes it, oh, it's like peanut oil. I like peanuts, you know? And then, if that wasn't enough, they put, to me, just the right amount of salt on their fries. Am I the only one that loves Chick-fil-A waffle fries in here? Come on, seriously, you guys. I mean, dude, I got to be honest with you. I can't stop eating them. If I'm still hungry after I've eaten at Chick-fil-A, I don't go get another sandwich. Melissa and I, we get another large fry, possibly two. You know, and we just shove our faces full of them because they're so stinking good. But then you think about like Dairy Queen fries. Okay, totally different. It's like they've cooked their fries in old grease that's been cooked in their fish too. So you got old fishy, nasty fries. And then if that wasn't enough, they put way too much salt on them. Right? (laughs) How many of you would prefer the waffle fries over the fishy fries? All right. Actually, I don't even know why I'm talking about food right now. Maybe I'm hungry. So maybe we should go and and eat. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but the Greeks used to call uh, salt, they would call it, um, what do they call it? Caritas, or really charitas, or caritas, which is where we get the word charity. But it also means grace, because it comes from the word that means grace. And the reason is, it's because salt brings flavor to the right thing At the right time. And when it's the right amount. I mean you guys know. How many of you are salt lovers? I know my wife is. She's into salt. You know. I mean I think I've asked her before. Babe. Do you love me as much as you love salt? (laughs) And of course she said. It's close. You know. (laughs) And grace is like that. Grace is, is, is just like that. It brings the right thing at the right time. You know, aside from the different uh, meanings of grace that we find in the Scripture, there's, there's common uses of grace like, um, like it's a pleasing appearance or it's a pleasing effect, um, that which affords joy, that which brings pleasure or delight. And uh, Paul was talking in Colossians 4. He says, Let your speech be with grace, or as with grace, some of your versions say, as though seasoned with salt. He says, let your speech also be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And again, that could be a believer, but it could also be an unbeliever. And what Jesus, when Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he's saying, you are blessed. You are blessed, and since you are blessed, You have the responsibility of bringing the right amount of grace to the right person at just the right moment. And by doing that, it takes us back to Psalm 34, verse 8. That person may taste and see that the Lord is good. And they may come to put their trust in the Lord. And when they do that, just like us, just like the disciples, they will become blessed. And it's the same idea um, with light. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. When you're someone that has ascended the hill of the Lord, when you're someone that has stood in his holy place, like we've we've been talking about out of 
Psalm 24. You can't hide (laughs) that you're different. That you have been somewhere unique. That you possess something different. It's like when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. It says that the skin of his face glowed radiantly. Or you remember when um, the religious leaders had the the temple guards arrest Peter and John for preaching the gospel publicly and, and all that stuff over in Acts 4. It says of, the, of Peter and John, it says that they saw their courage and heard their words and they remembered that these two guys had been with Jesus. And it's because you can't hide it. When you've been with the Lord, when you've been in his presence, when you've spent time with him, there's something different about you and you can't hide it. Or at least you shouldn't be able to hide it. Jesus goes on to say in verse 15, does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket? I don't know that that's a rhetorical question. I think he's making a statement. No, you don't do that. Why would you do that? He says, but you put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And in the verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men in such a way. Everybody say, in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know why, but every time I read that, it reminds me of the bug zapper in, the bu- in Bug's Life. You guys remember that movie? Y'all know it? It's, there's this bug zapper on the porch, and all these bugs are kind of flying by, and then one catches a glimpse of the bug zapper. You know, the bug zapper's up here. One catches a glimpse of it, and he's like, oh, and he's drawn to the light, and all the guys are like, George, George, no, no. He's like, I can't help it. You guys remember that? That's what I'm talking about. There is the gospel is in Buck's life. But here's the deal. Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth." But if the salt loses its tastiness or taste tastiness, if it becomes tasteless, some of your versions say, like the NIV maybe. If the salt becomes tasteless, it says, how can it be made salty again? I don't know if you knew this, but salt actually doesn't really lose its saltiness because uh, sodium chloride, which is the, the elements that make up salt, it's, a, it's what they would consider a solid compound. It's good to go for a long, long time. But in the ancient world, most of the salt didn't come from the evaporation system. You know how these days they evaporate um, um, seawater and they get the salt, they extract it from it. That's not how they did it. Most of the time in the ancient sea world, they would get it from what they would call salt marshes. When seawater moves in from the ocean sea and hits land, it creates these shallow pools that, uh, where the salt water mixes with you know, whatever's on the land. It could be dirt, could be seaweed, it could be pellet pelican poo, you know, whatever is in that deal. And what happens is when those marshes evaporate, it forms these little, um, these little deposits of rock salt. And since salt is actually way more soluble than all the other impurities that are, that are in that little um, deposit, what happens is it can be percolated out. But what's left is a salty but very diluted um, thing. Just this stuff, this um, residue. And it's not worth a whole lot. And it has very little, if any, flavor left in it. And I don't know about you, 
But I'm, I'm hearing that. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what he's saying. And it's, to me, that's not blessedness, is it? And Jesus is saying, that's not who you are. You know, he was always trying to talk to his disciples about the authority that they were to carry and the impact that they were to make on the world. In fact, and he goes on to say, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except, it's good for this, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. But what does it mean? I, I, I looked that up because I'm like, man, that doesn't sound good. So I looked it up, and he's basically given his disciples a word picture from something that would happen during those days. And actually, I think even still in Israel in that area today, savorless salt, in other words, salt that didn't have any taste, salt that was just bland and hardly had any taste, would be used as gravel on roads, on highways. They would take it, and they would put it out like we would have maybe a gravel road or whatever. You know, of course, we have the nice paved roads now. But you guys know what I'm talking about? Gravel, where they would use that leftover savorless salt, and that's how they would line their, their streets. But they would also scatter it on the soil of flat roofs, you know, because the, the salt in that soil would make that, um, that soil hard, and it would help with leaks and stuff like that. But you have to remember that in this culture... A lot of times, rooftops were places where people would gather. It's where they would hang out. And so the diluted salt on the roads and the, and the highways and all that stuff, and then the diluted salt on top of the roof and, and all that would literally be <laughs> trampled underfoot by men. You guys hear what I'm saying? So Jesus is trying to paint a picture there. He wanted his disciples to know that they are salt, and that they can make a world of change to their surroundings, but if they're not careful, they can be pulled into that mixture, mixed with the world, mixed with the earth, and become polluted, and become diluted, and end up being just trampled over. Well, that's not where God wants us, is it? Do you guys see yourself? Do you, can you find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus is like, and in the end, what I want for you is just to lay down and let people walk all over you and trample you. I'm not talking about in the, in, in the means of persecution because we will be persecuted and people do get trampled over in that way. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking out, carrying out, and impacting people with the authority that we have in Jesus Christ to be salt and light. He doesn't want us to be trampled over. He wants us to be above the situation so, so that we can make an impact. That's what he's talking about. And it's the same idea with being Light. If you will be who you're meant to be, a city on a hill, that sounded very Texan, a city on a hill. <laughs> Listen, if you will be who you're supposed to be, a city on a hill, you cannot be hidden. People are going to take notice. They're just going to know that is where I need to be. That city up there on that hill, that's where I need to head. That looks bright. It looks safe. It looks whatever it is that our heart is hungering and thirsting for. If we will be that city, people will want to be in that city. You guys hear what I'm saying? But if your light is hidden under a basket, then how is it able to do its job? And what is its job? What is the job of light? Think about it. What is the job of light? It breaks through, busts wide open darkness. And when darkness 
is busted open and light comes in, it illuminates and people are actually able to see. They're able to see truly. They're really able to see. And that's why Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the problem that we face is not who we are. We are blessed. Are we? We are disciples. We are children of God and the different things that he says through the Beatitudes that we are children of God. But are we growing in Christ-likeness? And if we are, are we putting that on display? And I don't mean in a prideful, arrogant kind of a way like when he addresses the Pharisees. I'm just saying, are we putting it on display? Like the city on a hill, are we doing that? You know, it's one thing to have Christ-like character, but what, what good is it if you don't use it? You ever thought about that? You know? Think of all the household items that we have just laying around the house. Things that we haven't used in years. You know? Things that we eventually end up putting on Craigslist. You know? If you're not increasing in Christ-like char- uh, character, Christ-likeness, might as well just put it on Craigslist, see if somebody else wants it. And here's the truth. Somebody else does want it. They just don't know they want it. But if you can lead them to that city that is on a hill, you never know. You never know what might happen. It makes me think of uh, an ice cream maker. <laughs> you got, anybody have an ice cream maker? Danny, you guys have. I knew you would raise your hand. I got one. Anybody else have an ice cream maker? Okay, cool. So I'm... My mother-in-law has one. She has an ice cream maker, and she'll whip it out at certain events like um, birthday parties or, or whatever. And I don't know if you know how one of those things work, but it's this container thing, um, cylinder kind of container. And then it has this inner chamber that you would put in the, the milk and the sugar and whatever else is in ice cream. And then you would pack around that cylinder all kinds of ice. You just pack it in there, fill it up. But at the last layer, you put in tons of rock salt. Okay, salt rock, rock salt. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, and then you put the lid on it and the old timey ones have these cranks. Today they, they make them with, that are electric and it does the cranking for you, but ours is both. You can do the electric part of it, but it's never strong enough to, to really do what it needs to do. So I'm always the one cranking. So during those holidays, I'm always the one cranking. I'm usually find me a spot, get it. Everybody else is in there having fun and I'm over there cranking the ice cream. You know what I mean? And then what happens, can you all see me? You can't. What happens is that as you crank, the salt is doing something. And I don't know. I could probably read about it. There's some scientific geeky method, you know, and if you know that, I'm not saying you're a geek. But there's some sort of method, something that the salt does to turn that, that ice and the sugar and all that stuff into that sweet ice cream that we love to eat. And so, so when you, as you're cranking, you know, it gets harder to crank, and that's because the, heart, the ice cream's getting harder, and you're getting closer to eating that delicious stuff. You know what I mean? And so, and that's the way you make ice cream. And so, when it gets too hard, you check it. If it's not hard enough, what you do is you put more ice in there, and you put more salt in there. Put the lid back on, crank some more, crank some more, crank some more. You guys know what I'm talking about? You ever do that? You ever make snow ice cream? That's not the same thing, though, is it? You do that differently. Well, Whatever. But I want you to think about that. You have to use the salt. There's something 
about that salt. But you can use all the salt that you want to. You can just fill it up. You could fill it up with more salt than ice. You could do whatever you want to. But listen, if you don't crank that thing, you ain't getting ice cream. I mean, is that true? You can have all the salt that you want, but if you don't get your hand on the crank and start cranking, you're not going to get that, that sweet, loving dessert that we all love so much. You can crank all day. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if you can put salt in it all day, but you're not going to get the stuff. Listen, we are the salt. That's what God did in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, is he, he made us to be salt. He gave us that ability to be flavorful. But, but are we cranking out evangelism? Are we talking to the people around us? I don't, I don't mean this in a guilt trip kind of way. I'm just saying, oh my gosh. The people around us are dying and hurting. And we got our light. They're just hiding it under the basket. We got our salt, but don't expect me to put my hand to the crank. I'm not going to go there, you know? It's really important. And then you think about the opposite is true. You can crank all day long. Just crank it up, baby. Crank it, crank it, crank it. But if you did not put salt in the ice cream maker, what are you going to get? You're not going to get ice cream. You're still going to have milk. You're still going to have the sugar all floating around, nice and liquidy. It's not going to become solid. It's not going to be... It's not going to become what you intended it to become. It takes both. Thank you, Lord, that you've, through your Holy Spirit, through the power of the cross, through all that stuff, you've put in me the ability to be flavor to those around me. But also, Lord, empower me, give me courage and help my speech because I've been with Jesus. Help me like Peter and John. Help me to get out there and crank. And I say help me because how many of you know it's hard to get out there and crank? Am I the only one? You know, I get kind of tired of people going, oh, eh, eh, eh. you know what I mean? But the truth is, that's what needs to happen. We've got to get out there and crank. One of the things that keeps people from putting their faith in Christ is when our city on a hill doesn't look any different than the city that they live in. You can crank all day, but if you don't have salt, the power of the Holy Spirit in you, if you haven't been with the Lord, if you haven't been up that holy hill, if you haven't been with Jesus, it doesn't matter. Your city looks just like their city. But what Jesus is saying is you are a city on a hill. And that kind of city, people are going to notice. That kind of city that's different, people are, want to go, are going to want to go there. We are salt when we possess Christ-like character. We are, we are light when our faces glow from being in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to end with this. There's a, um, an old guy. I mean, he's obviously dead, but he lived in the time of Jesus. His name is Pliny the Elder. He's obviously old and obviously weird. Okay? But he had a saying, nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. And this is, a guy said this in, in the same season of life, or season of history, where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and light of the world. Again, just a common thing, but there's a lot of meaning to that. There is nothing more useful, or nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. You guys, according to Jesus, 
according to the man who said, blessed are these types of people. Blessed are you. You are salt. You are light. All of us in here are salt and light. We have the ability to bring flavor. We have the ability to bust open the darkness and and reveal Christ to the people around us. No, we do. We do. We don't step out on it. Maybe we just don't have the confidence that we do, but we do. I'm telling you. Jesus said, you are salt. You are light. And when I say salt and light, I mean all of these things. God wants us to step out, you guys. We're meant to bring flavor. We're meant to break it open the darkness. Don't you guys stand with me? You know, one of the things that I love about going through, the, through Scripture this way um, in order, going through a book or going through a section um, is because whatever you're on next is what you're on next, right? You guys ever done like an inductive study through Scripture, um, gone exegetically through Scripture? Man, whatever you're on is what you're on. You didn't try to muster it up. You weren't trying to accomplish something. You weren't trying to manipulate anything. You're not trying to communicate a certain message because it needs to be communicated. It's just, it is what it is. And this is where we're at this week, isn't it? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so for us to be here, in my opinion, because of God's sovereignty, it's kind of like, you ever notice how your devotionals, you guys maybe have an Oswald Chambers or a Streams in the Desert or some sort of devotional that you go through? If you don't, you need to get something because it can really help. But especially when you're like, oh, I just need to hear from the Lord. It's amazing how you'll turn to that devotional. You'll read it and you'll be like, wow, that couldn't have been more clearer for me. You guys know what I'm talking about? So anyway, what I'm saying is, is that tonight, this is where we're at. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I think we've learned maybe for the first time or maybe for the hundredth time that we have a responsibility to bring the appropriate amount of grace at the appropriate amount of time to the right person. Does that make sense? And it's, we, you know, we're living in a day where we just, I mean, we've always lived in the day, but we've got to step out. We've got to put our hand to the crank and reach out to those people around us. I get that some of you work for ministries and you're in ministry and everybody loves Jesus around me. I get that. But still, remember we talked about how these things can apply to believers and non-believers. There are believers around us that are hurting more than you know. In this room, there are believers that are going through things that you would never imagine they're going through. And they're no different than you. They got enough pride in them to cover up the pain. I'm going to put on that smile. You know what I mean? But it's true, isn't it? Sometimes you've been someone sitting in church and you've been going through the most atrocious thing that you've ever gone through in life and you put on a smile so that nobody will know it. But the truth is that somebody in this congregation is supposed to be salt and a little bit of light to somebody else in this congregation. Okay? But it also does apply to unbelievers. Putting your hand to the crank. That's usually our problem. I think Soma Church is actually pretty good at ministering to each other. I think we've always been pretty good at that. And I think we're pretty good at reaching out to those around us. But I think all of us would agree, man, my, my hand hasn't even been on the crank in a long time. I've tried to turn on the electric one. 
Truth is, it got bogged down. Am I the only one? Some of you work around dark people, dark places, and they're not, they're not goners. God loves them. He wants them to come to know him. He wants you to lead them to that city on the hill. It's like what we've been talking about. Uh, to, he wants everyone to ascend the holy hill of the Lord, to stand in his holy place, to have clean hands, to have a pure heart, to give up all the false idols and things that we worship. That's what he wants. So my, my challenge for us tonight is, is to consider that, to go home tonight, this week, and think, man, I need to put my hand to the crank. And not because Tony um, preached such a great sermon, you know, but because that's what Jesus said. Amen? We talk like this about the ice cream. Oh, yes. People need to know Lord. Yes. Oh, Lord. Let people in Tyler come to know Jesus. Oh, Lord, we want that ice cream. But is your hand on the, on the crank? Does that make sense? It can't be just salt. It can't be just crank. It's about, it got to be salt and a little crank. Does that make sense? So let's get crunk. <laughs> okay? And I will say this before we go. You also know what it's like to eat something. Well, kind of like those DQ fries I was talking about. You eat that fry and you're like, good Lord. There's so much salt on it that you can't even handle it. When he says, may your speech be um, as with grace, seasoned with salt. Again, the idea is that it's just the right amount. Too much salt is a turnoff. Does that make sense? That's why it takes time, it takes patience, it takes love. And we talked about how salt can sting a wound and so can truth. That's why scripture says to speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. Amen? Seasoned with salt.